But I remember during this this season in particular where she's with Eric and they're all loved up. People were calling Suki all kinds of whore, et cetera, et cetera, for not wanting to be with Bill anymore. Like, well, basically, like basically, since Bill was the first man she'd ever been with, like she owed him her body and a relationship forever. everyone this is alex and this is M. welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the last four seasons of the hit HBO fantasy drama True Blood. This groundbreaking series started off strong, but started to lose its footing somewhere in the back half as too many characters, too many supernatural entities, and an abundance of overall ridiculousness consistently threatened the show's credibility and its initial premise. So how did True Blood manage to survive seven seasons on one of the most reputable premium networks? Stay tuned. All right, everyone. If you are tuning in and you haven't listened to last week's episode, go do that now. And if you are rejoining us, um, here are some details about True Blood. The series is a fantasy horror drama created by Alan Ball based on the Southern Vampire Mysteries, which has been retronymed the True Blood series by Charlene Harris. The series aired from September 7th, 2008 until August 24th, 2014 on HBO for seven seasons and a total of 80 episodes. The series stars Anna Paquin as Suki Stackhouse, Stephen Moyer as Bill Compton, Sam Trammell as Sam Merlot, Ryan Quantin as Jason Stackhouse, Rutina Wesley as Tara Thornton, uh, Chris Bauer as Andy Belfour, Nelson Ellis as Lafayette Reynolds, Alexander Skarsgård as Eric Northman, Kristen Bauer Van Stratton as Pamela Swinford de Beaufort, aka Pam, Todd Lowe as Terry Belfour, Carrie Preston as Arlene Fowler, Jim Perrick as Hoyt Fortenberry, Adina Porter as Letty Mae Thornton, and uh, Deborah Ann Wall as Jessica Hamby, and Joe Mananiello as Alcide Hervo. So these are our major players. Let's get talking to about season four. Um, it's just like the previous three seasons. It has 12 episodes. And we just jump into some shit. Arlene and Terry's baby is born. The baby that they conceived at, like, that demon-possessed orgy, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that baby is weird as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that baby plot is so... <laughs> like, it's it's so out there. It was so unnecessary. It's just, like, I think it's clear that they had an original idea of how this baby plot was going to go. And then they ended up completely scrapping it. Because how the baby plot resolves is nothing like how it was set up in in the beginning. 
Yeah, I think they had a. I, I agree. I think they had a whole plot and a whole arc set up that was supposed to, you know, um, span the entire season. And then, like the way it a quarter of the way through, this is like, oh, this is bullshit. You guys, scrap it, scrap it, like scrap it. This is what we're going to do instead. Um, because yeah, they they sort of set it up as like a an omen type deal, right? Where the baby is like is wrong, but right. it it doesn't resolve that way at all. Right. It but, resolves with, like the baby is fine. He's just being haunted by this black woman. Yeah, he's being haunted by this black woman, who. Which, oh my God, I hate it. Like, so (laughs) I hate this plot. So he's being haunted by this black woman and we find out it's not the baby. It's a doll that the baby has. And there's this black woman who had a baby for this white man. He like killed the baby. The, The white man that she had it for killed the baby. And so, and then like she in turn, like, was killed and she just never so she's still searching for her baby in this afterlife yeah it's horrible i don't even i i when i rewatched i was like oh god this is horrible why did who wrote this like who's writing these things (laughs) yeah it's it's really cool it's it's to to play with these themes but as we said last week you don't have to play with every supernatural theme that pops into your head and the thing is they could get away with this and the way that they like they came in with one narrative and then they flipped it on its head later on as the show was airing right but on the rewatch if you're watching the episodes in succession you'll notice that most of the things that this baby is doing the doll that supposedly possessed is not even around. Right. Which is why I'm like, it's clear that they had this other idea. <laughs> like, cause the, the doll only comes in to that's why. Yeah. It, the doll only comes in like halfway through, through season four, uh, when Hoyt and Jessica drop off this, this haunted doll. Um, so that's what I'm saying. It's so clear that they had this other idea and then they just ended up scrapping it. And listen, I'm I'm all for scrapping something that is like bullshit, but I feel I feel like they should have resolved it soon, but they shouldn't have resolved it the way that they resolved it. I feel like, you know, just go to a good old fashioned exorcist, have the baby exercise, and that way you don't you don't ruin the the initial premise that you set up, and we can get this out of the way quickly. You know, right. So we kick off season four and uh, Sookie is like off in fairyland. And while she's in fairyland, she sees her grandfather who disappeared over like 20 years ago. But then at the same time, fairyland is like a trap. They never resolve. This is another part that they never resolve about like fairyland being like a trap. She even sees like her old because there was an she met like another fairy in like season two named Barry. And she sees him yes. in Fairyland as well. Fairyland is a trap because there's like this evil, not an evil fruit, but like a magical fruit that you eat. Anyway, point is she escapes Fairyland with her grandfather and the grandfather dies because he ate the magical fruit while he was in Fairyland. When Sookie escapes Fairyland, we find out that time moves differently in Fairyland than it does on Earth. So while she felt like she was only there for 15 minutes, she was actually gone a year on Earth. So that's where we pick up at the beginning of the season. So we have a good old-fashioned time jump. And everyone is shocked, excited, uh, whatever, 
to uh, see that Suki is back with her having been missing for a year. So when we pick up here a year later, Tara is gone, living in New Orleans. She's an MMA fighter, and she's going by the alias Tony. Uh, Bill is king of Louisiana because he cut a deal with Nan Flanagan and the authority to become king after he agreed to kill Sophie Ann, who was the former queen of Louisiana. And Eric is, you know, doing Eric things. Bill Compton is a worse type of bad guy because he legitimately thinks he's a good person. Um, that being said, in season four, dealing other than dealing with Arlene and Terry's weird-ass baby, Andy is hiding an addiction to V that only Jason knows about. There are werepanthers in this situation, and poor Jason is tortured in the most despicable of ways by having to go through a gang rape by the female werepanther, some as young as 13, for this purpose of breeding, because they're so inbred, they need fresh, you know, genetic material, and they're trying to get it by any means necessary. Lafayette becomes possessed by his dead mother, Mavis's spirit. And then later, Marnie's spirit, Marnie is a witch we meet this season, possesses him and causes him to lose the love of his life, Jesus, in the worst possible way. The spirit possessing him kills Jesus to take Jesus's powers. So even though it's not him physically doing it, his physical body was used to murder his own boyfriend. <sighs> wow. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff that <laughs> happens this season. So our big overall like theme mystery plot of season four is Marnie and these witches. They kick off the season. So Marnie is like a, she's really just sort of like a half, a half competent, like witch, half competent medium. Uh, Jesus convinces, convinces Lafayette to come join their like little coven, their little witch circle. And Lafayette is against it because he does not want to know any more about his medium powers. But uh, Jesus thinks it's a good thing. And Marnie and Jesus are friends. So they go and they do that. Uh, and in the, one of the initial meetings of the, the witch circle, we find out that one of the women in the witch circle is actually a plant from Bill. It's like she's an op from Bill sent in to spy on the witches to make sure they're not getting up to anything too powerful, lest they overpower the vampires. This is like Klaus uh, Michelson levels of controlling, by the way. <laughs> right. And which I'm going to get into. It's in- it's so it- it's interesting. So so what happens is that one witch circle when they're when Marnie's doing this thing, she bonds with a extremely powerful witch from what the vampires will refer to as the Inquisition. And uh, this witch was a, a witch in Spain who basically like fucked up all the vampires. Like that was her claim to fame. She was so powerful. She like d- like she fucked up the vampires. She made them walk into the sun. She was about that life. Um, and she was a necromancer. So when Marnie threw with the power of this old Spanish witch, bring this dead bird to life, Bill's plant then um, reports back to Bill. And then Bill sends Eric to basically kill the witches. I want to make something clear. Like, these are witches who are minding their own business, not really trying to do anything about anything. Like, we're in our little witch circle doing nature. 
and talking to dead people. And Bill is like, kill them. <laughs> like, they have done nothing to provoke these vampires. So Eric comes to, to kill them and Marnie and the Spanish witch together, like, in her body, erase Eric's memory. So Eric has no clue who he is. He knows he's a vampire and he knows he's old, but he doesn't have, he's like a, like he has none of like Eric memories or even really personality. So this is interesting to me because this is the second sort of plot we see where witches are a huge threat to vampires and vampires are like trying to just eradicate them for no reason and i'm fascinated about by it let's talk about it yeah let's talk about it so i think what what i appreciated from true blood more than from the the tvd universe and you know the vampire diaries and the originals is that the the witches even the semi-competent ones like marnie really understand the breadth of their power and they're not out here trying to cut deals with vampires or be in like this like chaotic neutral with them right right (laughs) they understand the power that they wield and and it's it's not exhibited any better than with eric because eric is older than bill right right Um, eric is one of the oldest vampires on the show now that godric has died and they were able to reduce him to this entirely bill's fault by the way Entirely him to fault. fuck with them. Entirely his fault. <laughs> um, and we can talk too about how he really let that power get to his head quickly. Um, but the point is, when you are a supernatural being that works with nature rather than being an aberration of nature, you're always going to be more powerful. And um, True Blood really showcases that the vampires have to um, strategically try to outwit the witches, they cannot overpower them. Not really. (laughs) Right. It all relies on them outwitting them. I think there's something really interesting to me because through all of this, right, this confrontation, which is entirely Bill's fault, entirely the fault of the vampires with the witches, the witches are still villainized and and they're still connecting these vampires to this their gay and oppressed storyline through through this entire season. And that's that's really interesting to me. <laughs> Cause this yeah. isn't like this isn't because they did something similar on the originals and they did something similar on TVD. And and specifically thinking about the originals, through the the through line between the originals and True Blood is that they both both teams had this idea and framed it for the audience that somehow, somehow these witches are uh, evil. In the audience should view these witches as the villains versus these vampires. And that's because I think there's something very connected, I think, about our cultural idea of witches, mm-hmm. particularly witchcraft being so female-focused. And, and vampire folklore being so male-centric? Yes. I think there's something there that I can't quite parse out. 
I also think, you know, piggybacking on your point, um, it's interesting, too, how, you know, in the Vampire Diaries, we we met a total of three male witches. Uh, like you said, it's very female-centric because the vampires are, you know, usually white and usually male. I think one of the, the, the issues with both TVD and True Blood is how the framing. These shows already come in with the premise that vampires aren't that bad. And even the ones that are that bad... They're not the majority, girl. Um, so, you know, it's not that serious. It's always from a standpoint of everybody who's against vampires is just, you're just like, you're you're just overreacting. It's not that serious. It's a very gaslighting type of narrative. It is. And I wonder if there's something, something that Trubla does um, that's very familiar that ultimately follows uh, something that TBD and the originals does is that it makes the majority of the vampires white, right? Mm-hmm. We had one black vampire in season one who was quickly murdered and forgot about. And then we eventually have Tara, not yet, but it's coming. And But for the most part, all the vampires are white, so, oh, don't forget Long Shadow, RIP. <laughs> right. Also, shout out, true. Shout out to Long Shadow. Also, quickly murdered. I wonder if there's something that is being unintentionally done. Um, it, I don't think it's intentional at all, but I think there is something here that's happening where you just don't have the vampire myth without white supremacy as well. You're, you keep trying to convince me. That, like, these vampires are fine, even though they are wreaking all this havoc and all this violence, which feels a lot like white supremacy, right? You keep trying to convince me that white supremacy is great, right? That it's normal, that it's not like an aberration, but yet there's all this destruction and all this violence, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's very, um, you know, I feel like it's a, like, I guess I don't feel like this is intentional, but I do feel like it's a, a it's a subconscious, um, manifestation of life imitating art because, uh, cishet white supremacist patriarchy is harmful, but they'll be the first one to turn around and tell you that it's not that serious. It's in the past. It's not that bad. We help more than we harm. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as soon as you turn around and not even declare war, but just demand your basic human rights, then you become the enemy. And that's what happens with these with these groups of witches and humans on the show. They're literally saying, even if we don't want to kill you, you need to get the fuck away from us because we know that y'all are feeding on us. Right. And the fact that, like, um, Bill jumps to this sort of this end off of nothing, off of really nothing, <laughs> you know, he jumps to murder off of all these women are talking to each other, y'all. <laughs> Look, and they're talking to dead people. Find out right? what's going on in the hen house, guys. We, <laughs> we can't let these find- bitches just chatter and, and not know what they're talking about. about. You gotta be all up in Winnie's women's business. <laughs> um, it's fascinating to me. Um, and it's definitely something uh, to think about, um, particularly since we've seen it now twice, right? Right, right. Trulet also does this thing, and I don't know if you picked up on it, where it constantly showed 
the white female vampire leadership as incompetent or unearned. It does yes. this with Nan Flanagan and it does this with the queen, Sophie Ann on numerous occasions. So Eric, um, yeah, Eric loses his memory uh, of who he is somewhere during this. Uh, this is when Sookie and Eric finally hook up. It's interesting <laughs> that she would be attracted to him and consummate like a sexual act with him while he has amnesia, because I don't know if like if they're I'm just saying if gender roles were reversed, that looks really funny in the light. Well, you know what? I actually, it makes sense to me that she sleeps with this Eric. And it's, and I will say the, a credit to the show is like, they're very careful with how this is going because it's not, it's not amnesia in the, in like the traditional sense. Cause he does. Cause when she's like, do you know that you're a vampire? Like he does. He remembers he's a vampire. He does remember he's a Viking. He does speak, he he remembers that he speaks Swedish he just doesn't, his personality, like, it's just that, like, he doesn't really remember Godric, and he doesn't remember, like, his pivotal life experiences that have, like, made him who he is. He does know what he is. And when people tell him, because then when people tell him, he's like, I don't know if I want to be that person. It's almost like they, it didn't necessarily, it's more like they just took away his personality. And Right. I call him neutered, Eric. <laughs> and it. It makes sense to me that Suki, like Suki, it makes a sense to me that Suki likes him because he's, and I actually really liked this. He's very gentle. He's like more thoughtful. The show tries to sell this idea. And, and for me, at least they do, that this is the Eric who was like human because he's still all that stuff that you talk about in terms of like that you mentioned in the first episode of like this really big belief in honor and valor and, and warrior stuff, all of that is still there. Right. Right. Um, no, though, that's, that's an excellent point. I mean, Eric has changed drastically, but that's because the last hundreds, several hundreds of years of information has been, you know, selectively deleted from his mind. Um, I mean, he, Eric got turned into a vampire in his like mid to late twenties. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. he's he's that he's that person. <laughs> Basically, he's who he was before he got turned. I like that she loves the humanity in him. Um, this version of Eric blows Bill out of the water. <laughs> he does. He's so much better. The first thing that Sookie does is she gets Pam. She calls Pam. She's, and Pam is like, nobody can know that Eric is like this, especially not Bill. If Bill finds out that Eric is like this, Bill will not hesitate to like finally be able to take him out. Mm-hmm. When Bill finally finds out, that's exactly what he goes to do. He goes to take out Eric. And Suki is like, begs him not to. Uh, because she's very much in love with this very human and Eric. So I want to talk very quickly about Suki and her relationships. Um, now, in the book, Suki is depicted as being polyamorous. On the show, however, um, she is portrayed as um, more monogamous and wanting a monogamous, you know, a very closed relationship. But I remember during this this season in particular where she's with Eric and they're all loved up. People were calling Suki all kinds of whore, et cetera, et cetera, for not 
wanting to be with Bill anymore. Like, well, basically, like basically since Bill was the first man she'd ever been with, like she owed him her body and a relationship forever. <sighs> wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, y'all literally, you guys are fucking crazy. Um, but the misogyny was crazy. Even when she's the protagonist of the show, people still want to see her restricted in that way. It reminded me, ironically enough, of the way that maybe not the audience, but the Xander character um, verbally assaulted Buffy for sleeping with Angel. Mm, mm, interesting, interesting. So let's talk about this where Panther rape thing that happens for a bit. Fucking hell. Um, um, to all the writers and all the showrunners everywhere, please, for fuck's sake, stop using rape as a torture device and stop using rape to build character arcs. Jason is like kidnapped and held hostage by the Were Panthers because they're all inbred. And so they need, like you said, they need new DNA. And the worst part about this is that, like, it's goofy, this rape scene. They, like, it's clear that they think it's funny. That the writers That's what was the funny. most fucked up. That's what's really fucked up about it, is, like, they think it's funny. Like, and it's so not. It's really horrifying. But they kidnap Jason, and they tie him to this bed, and they uh, all, and Crystal, who was the one that he was originally into. We find out is the one that orchestrated all of this so that he could be the new, I guess, like leader or whatever of their wear Panther community because Jason has stepped in and is trying to help with, you know, odds and ends. This rape scene takes place. What makes it even worse is that I had sort of watched a little after the episode and I had gone and done some reading and Alan Ball talks about how like Jason's rape is payback for all the the womanizing that Jason did. And I just want to ask, please point me to the episode, the scene, the like um the times fucking stamp where Jason raped any of those women. Please right. show me where those, by the way, grown women, every single one of them grown, did not enthusiastically consent to fuck him. Like where, like what? Yeah. Jason's never raped anybody. He's never coerced anyone. In fact, uh, he's had to send uh, to turn women away. <laughs> if, anything. if anything. Um and the thing is the Jason character has been established and this is one thing they didn't like retroactively assassinate but the Jason character is established early on as really enjoying women but specifically enjoying the attention that he gets from women who want him and are pursuing him. He's usually the one being pursued in almost all of his interactions. And I think what bothers me most about saying this is payback for his womanizing is the fact that I've heard this so many times when women get raped. Oh, she was a hoe. So that's what she gets. This will teach her a lesson, right? I had the fact that a person likes consensual sex with adult consenting partners doesn't mean that they should be raped. And furthermore, the Jason character is a character that we know by this point was actually groomed and sexually abused by his teacher. Right. You could make the argument that his hypersexuality is a response, right? Right. 
Right, because that's and, usually what happens when someone's abused. They either become hypersexual, or they, or in, in, in other scenarios, they can become, um, they can, um, be, you know, com- be completely uh, asexual. Th- these are very common responses to sexual abuse and grooming. Right, and in fact, this is the case because we do find this out later that mm-hmm. when. Um, Hoyt's girlfriend uh, from Alaska comes into the picture who eventually becomes Jason's wife and, and mother of his children. She ta- he, he talks about, well, it just doesn't, I've never, after the teacher incident, it just felt like that was what I was supposed to do or like that's the only way that I was valuable. Like right. I was smart, I wasn't this, but I could make women feel pleasure and that's that's what I use to fill the hole. So the fact that they would put this in there is horrifying. Right. Oh, and let's talk about when the abuse started. This teacher is relationship. And I use relationship incredibly loosely with, with Jason, with Jason started after the death of his parents. She took this vulnerable grieving boy who like he's mentioned, isn't that bright. Isn't that special. And is now um, now feels responsible for a younger sister, right? Because of the death of their parents, she made him feel safe, and she gave him that maternal energy, only to turn around and sexually abuse him. And the Jason character didn't even understand how she had violated him until he she, he was well in adulthood, because the show sets it up like they were still sleeping together on and off throughout the years, right? Right. She she does he doesn't even understand what she did to him until like he comes into some level of self-awareness and he's like this is fucked up. You were fucked up for doing this to me. And this is also really common with male victims of sexual abuse, specifically sexual abuse from women because our society tells us, boys, if a man touches you, that's wrong. But we don't really have anything to tell these young boys who are groomed and abused by older women. Right. We don't have language for them. That's true. (laughs) So you take this character who's been through all this shit, whose hypersexuality is a response to this shit, and you're telling us that he deserved to be raped? Oof, baby. And can can we grasp the severity of entering into a new relationship with someone who you think might be the one, only for them to turn around and betray you this way? I hate that shit. I hate that shit. <laughs> She's not some random shit. bitch. She was his girlfriend Friend. and she orchestrated her entire family to rape him. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Y'all could have y'all could have left this on the cutting room floor. Could have saved it. Could have saved it. <laughs> like you really could have saved it. Um could have done something else. Or I mean at least treat it with the severity that it deserves. You know what I mean? Right. When Lafayette is tortured, we're very aware that it's torture. It's not funny and it's not supposed to be. Supposed to be. But yeah, this this but, was a mess and y'all were messy for introducing it. And after it's done, it's just sort of like, uh, Jason's fine. There's nothing in subsequent episodes where Jason's trying to heal or he gets, you know, he where he's dealing with the severity of what happened. Unlike, you know, Lafayette, who has flashes um, for the rest of the series is very visibly like shaken by Eric. I think it speaks volumes that this that Jason could be held hostage, tortured, drugged, and raped, 
and we act like that shouldn't affect him. What are you even saying about the um, sexual assault that men go through if you're pretending like it shouldn't or doesn't affect them psychologically? Right. It's awful. Quentin just took a breakup. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, because Jason sleeps with her. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Um, it's kind of like, I, I honestly think this was the writer's way of trying to like, to to cut our sympathy for Jason in the bud, you know? Like, oh, Jason got raped. That's terrible. But look, he's fucking his best friend's girlfriend. He's a piece of shit. I think that was the theme. He's a piece of shit. And then it's like, oh, well, she's just growing up. Which, they could have done that in another way. I think so, too. Because the Jessica character is someone who is showcased as having a deep sense of loyalty, whether that's from her upbringing or just her nature. She is framed as being very loyal to Bill and very loyal to Holt, not just because they are the men predominantly in her life, but because um, we are. it's made very clear that up until this point, this is the best she's ever been treated. It's particularly by by men. They do a lot of things with the Jessica character throughout the the rest of the series that just kind of make me go, huh? But uh, in lighter news, Reverend Steve Newland is turned into a vampire this season. (laughs) The the season ends with like the the big confrontation between the witches and the vampires. Something that sort of made me annoyed was Tara and Jesus and. Lafayette selling out Marnie and the witches to to the vampires when they should have just got on the winning fucking team. It really didn't make sense for Lafayette of all people to make this choice. Like I can I can I can imagine and Jesus as well. I can imagine why Tara might think this is a good idea, but Lafayette's been tortured by vampires. Jesus is a literal witch himself. And this is what we we were talking about earlier of this framing of of witches ultimately being villains. The fact that our purest characters, right? Because if there are characters, if there, if we, if we pick out the characters in True Blood who are whose compass points the most north, um, who are who we can point to as like the moral center of the show, it's Lafayette, mm-hmm. it's Jesus, and it's Tara, right? Right. So the fact that there are characters who are the moral voice of this show, then, uh side with the vampires is definitely signaling to the audience that these witches are that these witches are villain villains which i have a problem with right for Um, all the reasons we stated earlier (laughs) i do want to elaborate on a point you made about the framing of witches being inherently bad um the show does a couple things to actually reinforce that point first is that it tokenizes jesus as one the good one right the good one in a sea of bad witches. And just in case you were unsure and you thought that there might be other good witches other than Jesus, Jesus tells a story about how about his own grandfather being ridiculously evil, right? Right, doing something really fucked up. Um, so it's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm a witch, but you know, you gotta be careful with this shit. This shit's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a kosher, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus never leans fully into his own power. And again, with the grandfather, he comes from a very, very powerful line of witches, um, because he's afraid. He, he, he himself, um, sees witchcraft as inherently evil. And I think it's even more telling that he sees witchcraft as even more evil and his 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 ancestral witch, witch powers are specifically from indigenous peoples. They say yeah, Azteca. 
Yes, yes, yes. His people are South American, but they never lost um, touch with their ancestral indigenous pre-colonialist roots, right? And I think it's it's also important that this character isn't just indigenous, but proudly so. This a lot of these rituals are pre-colonialist that have been passed down for centuries, and again reframing this patriarchal white system as the hero and the witches as the oppressor, right? Right. It all ties in together. So this is why when Marnie possesses uh, Lafayette and kills Jesus, I wasn't even mad about her killing Jesus. I was mad because it was another another trauma that Lafayette had to live through. Right. <laughs> like Jesus, honestly, like you said, should have gotten on the winning team. Period. Marnie is ultimately, like you said, they outwit Marnie. They don't necessarily defeat her. They just outwit her. And she dies. Somebody on the show understood how bad this came off because they do have a scene where Marnie is standing around with the other witches who sort of died in the confrontation between the vampires, as well as they're standing around with Sookie's grandmother and and then the witch that Marnie was deriving her power from. Mm-hmm. And Sookie's grandmother and Marnie have this whole conversation about how it's over now. You're at rest. And Marnie's like, but they're going to fucking get away with it. Marnie's like, I I finally... Actually, no. I, I, or, hold on. Sorry, I'm just thinking through the scene and now I'm realizing that it's not... Um, it's not that somebody realized how bad it is. Somebody's just reinforcing the badness now that I'm thinking about the whole scene. But right. um, Suki, oh, basically Marnie was like, I finally found my power. Like, and these fucking vampires are going to get, are going to fucking get away with this shit. And Suki's grandmother is like, well, you're dead now. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, like find rest, find peace. And she's like, how like <laughs> girl the enabling of these vampires and the gaslighting of all of um their antagonists is ridiculous to me how can she be at peace knowing that they're out there still and and Suki's grandmother's just like well you know it's because it's just it's over it's see like you're done now just come on move on and I'm sort of like so wait a second are you saying that like <laughs> Marginalized people will only have liberation and death because, fam, I don't know that, that I'm with that messaging. <laughs> yeah, this is ugly. The whole narrative is very ugly. Like, take this away. Like, I don't know that I fuck with this. <laughs> like, yeah, um, get that shit the far, far the fuck far, away from me, please. Far, far away from me. So, so like we said, everything happens. Oh, I do want to say uh, something that also, ha- I, a quick note, something that also happens in the confrontation when uh the when the vampires are killing the witches or whatever and they finally outsmart them and, and such bill spares tara's life and she says why did you do that and he's like oh well you know why and i'm like wait a second these white people <laughs> these white people really trying me <laughs> because <laughs> like the whole thing is supposed to be it's like it's understood that he's sparing her life because of what happened at Russell Edgington's mansion or whatever. And I'm just like, wait, so somebody who you really shouldn't have killed in the first place, now you want them to be grateful to you for some shit that you did that was really fucking crazy? 
Child, JoJo said it's just a little too late. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I it couldn't have been me because when I told you I would have found some UV rays, a bullet, some I don't care how old you are, I it couldn't be me. Yeah, um, a mess, a mess. So. Okay. Season two, season four ends with that whole terror becoming a vampire thing. What do we think of season four overall? Because we talked about a lot of themes, which really should have been spread out over many seasons. <laughs> you know, season four is, it's basic, I feel like, to me. I don't fuck with this Marnie plot. Like, it, I mean, it's, it, I guess it's well executed. Um, I just, my personal taste, I don't fuck with it. But I think season four is probably the last pretty solid season of the show. I'm honestly going to give it a ba- basic minus. I'm not going to give it a straight up bad, like because like you said, it is the last solid season of the show. But the Arlene and Terry's baby plot that's weird as fuck and underdeveloped and obviously not thought out very well. And uh, Jason's rape, the motivations behind it, and the the way it was, uh, um, the character was treated after the fact leave a very bad taste in my mouth. Same, same. Uh so season five, season five, like you said, we pick up with Sookie is like crying because Tara's on the floor bleeding because she took that bullet for Sookie. I wrote in my notes, it's the first time that there are no nice white men to like hear Sookie's cries. And I don't think that's a coincidence considering that Tara is is attached, right? Yes, I agree. I also think it's telling that when no nice white men are around, um, the the black woman has got to be the handmaiden once again. And honestly, I know that Tara loves Suki and Suki loves Sarah, but like, is that even a thing that Tara would do? I ha- I haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that either is willing to die for the other. No, that's a good observation. And what happens subsequently when Pam gets there and they convince Pam to turn her the whole day that they're waiting to see if it worked because Pam, um, Pam initially says that the turning won't work because half of her head's blown out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, by the bullet. And, uh, so the whole day where they're waiting to see if she's even going to wake up, um, in, in those day scenes there, they have flashbacks to when, to essentially every time Tara stood up for Sookie when they were like kids and, and such. So right. from those flashbacks, we're supposed to glean that that is something that Tara would do. Yeah. Um, I mean, the flashbacks are cool, but I mean, like, I, I'm just saying, I don't feel like the adult characters were established in that way, regardless of whether it's believable to me or not, it does happen. And now Sook, Pam doesn't want to do this because in the vampire community, the one thing that all vampires have in common is this belief that creating progeny, creating another vampire is the greatest responsibility that a, that a, anyone, a vampire could ever have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we go back to when Eric turned Pam. Uh, she was a prostitute at the time. She figured out what he was and she basically slit her wrist and was like, you can turn me or you can watch me die. Um, right. And he turned her because he was so fond of her and he loved her so much by that point. And uh, it's it's uh, her love for, for Eric is why she ended up turning Tara because they're kind of on the outs. Her relationship has been really shaky and really fucked up. And Suki was basically like, I'm going to help you 
make things right with Eric if you can do this and you can save my best friend. And that's why she agrees to this. So she agrees to turn Tara, not out of a love for Tara, but out of a love for Eric. And so they're already starting this relationship off on the wrong foot. (laughs) I want to speak to something that I think is significant. And it's also why this framing sucks. So by this season five, you had like a hatred of this Tara character from not only fandom, but critics as well. And not even in season five, people were hating like actual like hatred of this Tara character all the way from season three when she gets horribly raped. I went back and revisited some of it before like we recorded this episode because I I was trying to remember how bad it was, and it was so bad. And I say all this to say, even the idea that she gets turned really felt like the show trying to fix this, trying to fix this, like, reception, but it doesn't fix it. It makes it worse because I think it's also clear you can feel that the writers hated this Tara character as well. Um, I was just about to say that hatred definitely extended to the writer's room. (laughs) Even from the way this is done, that like, oh, you know, nobody really wants her, but I guess if we have to, and it sucks, it just sucks, it sucks so hard, and it, and I think part of that is like, Tara's an antagonist, I mean, I think from the, from, from the, from the start of the series, Tara has been an antagonist because she hasn't. And the show has framed her as one because she doesn't fuck with these vampires, and rightfully so. I want to talk really briefly about that writer's room and writer's rooms in general. Now, this is a theory I have. It's not based in knowledge of the industry, just a theory string together from observation. A lot of these Black female characters, especially on majority white or all white shows, I think are hated by the audience because they're hated by the writers and written in such a way that their character is to be vilified or dismissed. I think one of the, I well, I don't think, I know that if a writer or a writer's room wants you to like a character, nine times out of ten, you will. They will find a way to reframe everything that that person does as heroic. Um, you know, the Klaus character, for instance, from the originals. Alex and I hated him, but we are definitely in the minority. Lots of people thought he was great. Same for the Walter White character from Breaking Bad. He's a shitty person, but most viewers saw Walter White as a hero. Then you go to Frank Underwood, a horrible character on a show filled with horrible characters. People thought Frank was a mastermind. Frank was a genius. Frank was the man. All you needed to change people's perceptions of those characters were the way they were framed. Writers can make you stand a terrible character. They can make you hate a really good character. And I feel like these internalized conscious or subconscious biases that a lot of these white writers and white showrunners have against Black women come out in that final cut. In addition to what you said, we're socialized also, you know, to love i think we're just so we're also socialized to just love evil white men i don't know mm. what that is like that's mm. a that's an internal i thing. know what that like, is hashtag <laughs> colonialism <laughs> what right. that is <laughs> a hashtag white supremacy but um we're conditioned to really love these evil white men 
and we were conditioned to really hate black women. Um, there's this really wonderful article on Vulture. It's about Seinfeld and it's about like the black people that show up on Seinfeld. And she brings up in it is about how black people are seen in these in this all white space, how black people function as a device in uh, predominantly white dramas, uh, like True Blood, like The Good Wife, like a lot of things. By the way, that article on Vulture, you guys, is called When Black People Appear on Seinfeld by Lauren Michaela Jackson. It's really good. Um, I encourage everyone to read it. Uh, it was a really good read. And she she's really great. She talks about not only Seinfeld, but like Big Little Lies and and all these sort of, and Black characters in predominantly white, these white uh narratives and how they function properly. But she says, like, white people are so synonymous with order that their chaos is justified. In stories in this vein, Black authority, mayors, principals, whatever, appear backward, playing by the rules to the detriment of what's important or at least intriguing. And that's exactly how this Tara character functions from the offset of the series. Um, because although she's not necessarily in a place of power like Kenya, Kenya would definitely fit into this vein. Um, she does, she is like a moral, they do, I think, try to establish characters like the moral authority or like the moral voice of this show. Uh, one of them, at least. In other news of season five, we are back on this Russell Edgington plot and Bill and Eric trying to track him down. And they put another really bullshit plot line with the Terry character. Last season, it was him and Arlene's baby. This season, he and his friend Patrick, played by Scott Foley, uh, uh, known for Scandal and Felicity, they he shows up and they are held hostage by their squad mate, Brian, um, in South Dakota. This is their squad mate from when they were in the military. And Brian tells them that they're they're cursed. Like the reason their lives have been shit since they left is because they are under the Ifrit curse of an Iraqi woman. It's very Stephen King. It was giving me Stephen King thinner vibes. If you've read thinner or you've seen the movie thinner, this is similar to that. They accidentally killed one of this Iraqi woman's family members and she puts a curse on them. So they've been cursed ever since they went home to the U S this was another plot that, okay, I understand you're trying to utilize a Terry character more, but what the fuck? Part of what was annoying about this plot is that they lost uh, sight of what the why the Terry character was interesting, or like, which is that he brought like human resonance to all right. these stories. He he was like the one sort of character of like consistency, emotional like truth throughout the, mm -hmm. the core of the series. And this plot was like, oh, what if he was involved in all this sort of like banana nuts craziness of the, um, of the, the world? And, and I didn't need him to be. I think what bothered me was that we are using this other ethnic group um, and um, elements of their culture or their cultural folklore and mythology to um, try to give the Terry character depth when, like you said, he didn't really need it. He kills himself this season. It's awful. I just, I, don't, I didn't need it. So the big thing in season five is, one of the big things is that 
so last season in season four, Bill and Eric, Bill killed Nan Flanagan, who was like the face of the vampire authority. And this season, True Blood tries to do like religious fundamentalism. Um, it goes about as well as you would think, uh, which is not very well at all. Basically, the show really goes in. It really, really hardcore goes in on this idea that, like, vampires are oppressed. And then it tries to, like, bring in this whole, like, religion make yeah, like, religion makes you, you like, crazy element. Because the whole thing is, is that, like, the vampire authority, which is basically this huge amass of, like, the vampires and, like, their wealth that they've been building over thousands of centuries and such. And they're, like, the face and, like the arbiters of what all the vampires should be doing. Basically, like, Bill joins it, and, like, it's this nest, and they're all kind of crazy, and, like, they're all, they all, like, drink this blood of, like, Lilith, which, like, if you know, like, the Lilith lore, it's, like, she was really the first woman that God made, and then, you know, she wouldn't, you know, fuck Adam. So it's like, and Adam was like, God, like I, you need to do something with this bitch. And so therefore Eve got made and Eve was the one who would be submissive. Um, and Lilith was in like cast out or made like a demon or something. True blood, like lore, uh, they, Lilith is like the first vampire. So the whole idea is that like vampires aren't really an aberration of nature because like they were made, by God. So like God made Lilith who was a vampire and then God made Adam and Eve. And so it gets really murky. Like, (laughs) um, it gets really, really fucking murky. And then the whole thing becomes like, Bill is like really wrapped up in it. And you think that the show is like reaching, like, like, like I said, for this idea that like religion is like weird and it makes people weird and kooky. Uh, but then Lil Bill goes crazy and he like kills a bunch of the vampire like authority people and the little like thing the little like vial of quote-unquote Lilith's blood that they were drinking from this whole time Bill like sucks down all of it and then Eric comes and like stakes the shit out of Bill and then like and then Bill like rises from like the dead so it's like But is it Bill, though? Da-da-da. So I want to talk very briefly about this. Um, I actually like what they did with the Lilith character. um, Because the Lilith character in folklore has been, like, reimagined as many things. Uh, A demon, a succubus, etc. So I think framing her as a vampire is actually the most logical, like, from a mythological standpoint. um, Because... She didn't eat the fruit of the the tree of knowledge, so she wasn't cursed with death like Adam and Eve and all their descendants. It makes perfect sense that she would be living forever, right? So um, framing Lilith as the first vampire is actually, I think, a really cool idea. But I could have done without the cult element of, the, of this season. I mean, it just doesn't fit in with anything that they've established before. Like... I knew before that this show, like, didn't have the range to speak about, like, bigger things thematically. But season five was when, like, I really knew that, like, it did not have the range at all. It did not have the range. And it's not their fault. It really ain't their fault. Um, But 
you know, I've said this before, I'll continue to say it. You got to know where your limitations are. Work within with your your strengths and stop trying to overreach. At first, it was campy when we were talking about the Fellowship of the Sun, right? Right. But this right here is just straight up ridiculous. The fact that, like, Bill comes back from the dead because he, like, does explode into the puddle of blood and then like he comes back so now he's like vampire jesus or something the worst part about that is that it then justifies every single freaking deranged thing that like the vampires have done the from like the beginning of the season and they do some pretty fucking deranged things this season more so than before yeah hmm and then we realize it might not even be him. It might be Lilith's like essence, spirit inside of him, right? Yeah, um, something like that. We don't we don't really know who or what is in control of the Bill body and the Bill figure. That's season but, five. I'm sorry, season five. Season five was bad. It was just bad. It was bad. Also, like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get into like Tara and Pam become like a thing. Um, for people who ship Tara and Pam and like stand that relationship Pam calls her a nigger like you understand that right like she straight up says that to her like fuck off and before she uses the word nigger she pretty much expresses that she believes Tara's a nigger in every other way possible possible and then she just (laughs) reinforces it by just coming out and saying it so like fuck off if you like stand that relationship like we're not like don't talk to me Yo, and fuck everybody who's down for these narratives where um, the black person fucks the racism out of their white partner. Go oh, God, I hate it. Like, <laughs> Listen, that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're here for. Our bodies are not rehabilitation centers. <laughs> nope. It's just, it's not what we do. Season six was 10 episodes, and that's when I knew the show was definitely dwindling, right? Because the previous five seasons had been 12 episodes each. This season, Luna dies, um, um, but not before giving Emma over to Sam as everyone's trying to run away from this newly reincarnated Bill. Because season six picks up with um, the, the, the recently staked Bill coming back and being reincarnated as something so um uh, sam eventually gives emma up to to be raised by family because her father's dead at this point her mom just died in this horrible way and her grandmother wanted her and always wanted her the new bill can see into the future he can read people's minds he's doing all this really fucked up crazy shit andy becomes a father um, he 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 messed with a fairy last season and she shows up like two weeks later, nine months pregnant and gives birth uh, in, in, at Merlot's on one of the tables. And she has five children um, in a very orgasmic labor. Let's just call it that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Jessica kills four out of five of those kids. So that happened. Yeah. So that happened. I actually really love the girl who get the fairy that gives birth. One, because I love that she just... She does it, and then she's like, oh, these are yours now. I'm out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I ain't got time to be raising no children. <laughs> That's hilarious uh, and fun. Um, Journey Bell shows up this season. Journey Smollett Bell, our favorite light-skinned black girl. Yeah, we, lo- we love our biracial queen. Um, she-, she really be doing it. Um, I love her in Supernatural shows as well. She's really fun to watch. I'm going to try to get into Lovecraft County because I know she's in that as well. She 
gives a horrible speech. So last season, like the vampires did a thing where they're like, they made, they gave like a mandate where like every vampire has to make 30 new vampires. And and they were basically reaching for colonization. And of course, you know, humans are like, well, we're not just going to sit out here and die. So there is like this war going on between this semi small war going on between humans and vampires in all 50 states. And the governor of Louisiana uh, has declared quote unquote war on vampires. Uh, season six is when is also when like the show really goes full out on this idea that vampires are oppressed and they're an oppressed minority. I think to make up for the derangement of season five. Yeah, I was about to say season six, as off the rails as it is, is much, much better and um, and just better conceptualized than season five was. Um, but they they lean into that original premise. Vampires are oppressed. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. This season, someone atta- attacks a True Blood factory. Now, True Blood isn't just the name of the show. True, True Blood, T-R-U, Blood is also the name of a product that has been on the the, the talking spoken of in the periphery of this show since season one. They the one of the reasons that the vampires um, or one of their selling points of we're not that dangerous, you guys, is the invention of True Blood, which was made by a Japanese uh, scientist. It's basically a blood substitute. Um, and while the vampires on this show don't be drinking it, they just be feeding off people. A lot of vampires do drink it. When the True Blood factory is attacked, however, a Hep V, hepatitis V, which is deadly to vampires, is put in it and it's killing vampires in mass. The Hep V stuff comes at the the end, which at the end of season six, and it's done. And we find out that the the people who bombed the True Blood factory were actual were actually vampires. Vampires bombed the True Blood factory for. Right reasons um oh, i thought it's because they wanted an excuse to to feed off people now right oh no they wanted it to seem that like humans were bad like um right like, right it, so it was like they were trying to frame us basically yeah they like did it to frame like oh see humans are the the real problem because see like our source of like food they've attacked like our food source that prevents us from feeding on, from actually feeding on humans. Um, And it's goofy. Like, I mean, it's so goofy. Like, there is a, like, a vampire (laughs) internment camp. Like, oh, God, it's the goofiest shit ever. And Journey Bell is, like, she's, like, some sort of, like, vampire freedom fighter. And she gives this horrible speech. I mean... When this, when, when, shout out to her for, like, her care, for, to Journey for, like, saying this shit with a straight face. Because, like, I don't know if, as an actor, like, I could have done this. But she gives, like, a speech to Sam about how, like, she's for vampire rights because once upon a time, her grandmother and her grandfather, her like, her mother and father were, like, freedom riders on a bus, like, protesting segregation. <laughs> Girl, that is the most the the light skin shenanigans. <laughs> oh, gee, like I know a white person wrote that shit. I know. I they know. Did. The only type of black person who would ever say this is someone who's related to the oppressor. I said what like, I said. I I know. I just know that. I know that in my heart. Like 
I know a white person with like a mixed a biracial niece wrote that shit. Like, <laughs> like, are we really putting this on the same level? Um, I, or are are vampires um being um uh, uh kept out of jobs and kept out of housing? And even if they were, are they not able to very quickly and easily overpower us? It's the power dynamics that bring things into focus. And it's interesting. She's giving this, uh, this, this speech to Sam. And, and when she gives it, I was like, in that moment, I was like, if this show, this show wanting vampires to be oppressed or whatever would have gone so much better if they had just never had vampires at all. And they had just stuck with, um, werewolves and shifters and um, the werepanthers because then all of this would make sense in context because they shift into animals you know mm-hmm. over the course of true blood when you look at like the the shifters and the werepanthers and the the werewolves they're not really more powerful than humans and that right. to me would make sense if like they are like like they're the oppressed minority. If you wanted to do this whole like white people are, are or like as a or this these supernatural creatures as as a cipher for marginalized communities. So also in season six we meet. Um, so back in season five there was this thing about like Warlow is coming for Suki. Um, Warlow is coming. He's coming. What kind of fucking terrible name is Warlow? I just can't even get that off my chest. I don't want to talk about it. And Warlow is like a vampire, and he's coming for Sookie because apparently he was, like, promised to her. Um, Or not he was promised. She was promised to him uh, eons ago before she was even born. And, And so he's coming. He comes in season, well, in more ways than one in season six. And we find out that Warlow is actually a vampire fairy hybrid. And he's Mm -mm. trying to make Sookie his vampire fairy hybrid bride. Um, uh, It's a mess. Like, and it's goofy. He's hot or whatever. And, you know, of course, Sookie wants to, like, fuck him or whatever. Which she does. Which she does. He's like, oh, so let's get married or, like, let me turn you. And, you know, she's like, nah, I'm not really feeling that. And then we find out he's, like, crazy. Uh, That's when we really realize he's, like, he's, like, banana nuts. Uh, He's basically, like, the fairy vampire version of a Lifetime Movie of the Week boyfriend. (laughs) It's all fun and games until you reject this man. And all of a sudden, he's breaking (laughs) into your house, terrorizing your friends. Friends. (laughs) So remember the vampire internment camp? Basically, all of our vampire leads get interned there sooner or later. And, um... Sookie cuts a deal with Warlow and a thing happens where basically Warlow's blood gets fed to everybody. So then everybody can like break out and like walk in the sun for uh, indefinitely because they have Warlow's blood in their system or something. Don't ask me the specifics. I don't quite remember, but I do remember that everybody gets to walk in the sun. Thanks to Warlow's blood. Good looking out Sookie. You just made humans more vulnerable than ever. Oh, also we find out that Sarah Newland, who's never been broke in her whole life, is fucking the governor of Louisiana. And she, um, after Bill, who's like feeling his like vampire Jesus status, kills the governor. 
uh, Sarah Newland sort of like low key takes her his place, and this is when the Hep V is like put into the True Blood. So then what happens is like eventually they kill Warlow. Um, and when Warlow dies, then the blood, the blood, everybody's sun, sun card gets revoked. Uh, season six, we get like a six month time jump to six months later. And by now, Hep V, Hep v has like taken over the country and like lots of vampires are sick and dying. It's clear that they're using like Hep V as like a allegory to like the AIDS crisis. Some more bullshit. Which is some more <laughs> bullshit. After, like, the Hep V thing and we do this six-month time jump, uh, which, by the way, any time you have to do this many time jumps, it's not, like, a good... It's not a good look for the show. You always know, like, writers are scrambling when they're when they're doing this many time jumps. But we jump six months. Sookie and Alcee are, are together, finally. She's in, like, a healthy relationship. Good for you, Sookie. And then Sam is mayor of Bonton. And it's interesting. So they there's this scene where basically where they assemble with the help of Letty May and, and her pastor husband. They assemble all of the the people in Bonton into this one church. And it's the most black people that have ever been on this show ever. <laughs> I do want to talk very quickly, though, about our queen, Letty May's um, level up. She went from being a, a, a strung out alcoholic, um, living in a rundown home on welfare, to being a sober, upstanding member of her community, married to a pastor, and dripping in swagoo. Her church hats were th- legendary. So she does. She's really doing it. She's doing it. Um, it's never too late for a glow up, girls. It's never too late. <laughs> And so they all bring people together because Sam has this idea that like uh, now that the he- now that there are vampires on Hep V and like Hep V makes vampires crazy as if like we haven't had an entire six seasons to see how psychotic the vampires are. Um, yeah. But- so the Hep V is treated like syphilis. Like right. it, it reacts to vampires the way syphilis reacts in humans. So they go crazy. Sometimes they'll go blind and then they'll like die. But it's like crazy or saying y'all are danger to, <laughs> to the community. <laughs> so the whole thing is, is like each healthy vampire eat, gets paired with like a healthy human to drink from. Um, I love how these people have to basically volunteer to be fed on in order to be protected from a danger which the people feeding on them directly pose. Pose. I'm just like, this is interesting. <laughs> like, this is... It's literally how men will be like, well, without patriarchy, who would protect women? And so the season ends at this church picnic. Hep V vamps raid it and kill everyone. And in the scuffle... Tara dies. I'm not mad that Tara died. Tara had a good run and they fucked her character over so many times. I was just ready for it to end, to be honest. But the way Tara died surprised me. Um, when Letty, so Tara's mother, Letty May, this is like a really like great scene between them. It was supposed to be some sort of like symbolize some sort of closure between them. Letty May had been very against Tara pretty much ever since she got sober and that little exorcism worked out for her. Um, Mm -hmm. She didn't want to be around her daughter's sinful ways. Then Tara becomes a vampire and she's like, oh, I can't have anything to do with you now. So she comes to Tara 
wanting to reconcile and say, saying, you can feed off me. Please let me nourish you. You know, like the way she did when Tara was a baby and she was nursing. Um, it's, it's very symbolic and it's actually really, really well done. But because of the history of Tara and Letty May and just the history of the writers fucking the Tara character over, I had really been waiting for Letty May to have been like infected with Hep V and was like, like I thought she was infected and that she was baiting Tara to kill her. Mm, this is how bad this is how low i think of the show's writers you guys. i mean it sounds like something they probably came up with <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that idea was pitched i would not even be surprised if somebody pitched that idea like right. initially that feels like so letty may <laughs> letty may not having happy v and tara being killed by other means i think was probably the kindest thing they ever did for that character because then she got a chance to reconcile with her mom for real before she was taken out Right. And and even then, like Letty May is not we spend the next the whole next of season seven sort of with Letty May not really resolved or being resolved to that or or everything that happened. Um I do wanna say I think it's really fucking I had wanted the character character to just I think die at the at the beginning of season six. Um I didn't want her to get turned to a vampire, mostly because I felt like, I also just felt like, um, even Tara, not even Tara, but even Lafayette and Sookie, like begging Pam to turn her felt a lot like when Buffy's friends resurrected her from the dead. Like, how dare you turn Tara into the one thing that she hated most out of everything. And then like, uh, turn her into something that like get, caused her so much pain and anguish in her life, you know? Right. I thought that even though Tara Suki had been doing this because she wanted to save her friend and that desire is very real, I felt that writing that narrative was very punitive because it's like, ha, now you're the thing you hate. Deal with it. Right. You're right. It is. It's, it, it is. It's a continuation of that bullshit thing of like, and it's another thing to like, you know, whip Tara with or in that character. Ugh, whatever. Season six, where are you? Season six was bad, straight up. What uh, about you? <laughs> same, bad, straight up. I hated everything about this season. I hated everything. Like, like I don't think I could speak to how much I really hated it. Um, it's bad. I'm sorry. It's it's bad, you guys. And the it and honestly. 90% of the reason it's bad is because of the treatment of Tara. Like I said, the season is better than season five. But the way Tara died, uh, the way Tara is treated by Pam, um, and um, the the ramifications of the Hep V and them, again, trying to make this allegory to the AIDS epidemic is, is really disgusting and exploitative to me. Same. Um, also, the way that they link it to like Black civil rights is disgusting and exploitative. Uh, there's even this scene of like that's that was where, where the writer who wrote the episode was a black woman, which God help me. Like, uh, there's this scene where like a vampire is tied to the back of a pickup truck uh, with silver, and uh, they're like they're they're driven and tortured. That's like a real thing that they do in the South to black people. 
Right. Um, it's also a real thing that happened to uh, a white gay man named Matthew Shepard in the 90s. That's how he was killed. Killed. So it's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to say that uh, for characters that have never been seen or shown as like anything but parasitic and evil. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't have a lot of love in my heart for the allegories and like um, these depictions that are being made. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad all around. And I just think it's really funny how people always want to make comparisons of fill in the blank to the civil rights um, movement as if, A, that's not something that's still ongoing, and B, as, as if they don't constantly try to dismiss the plight of Black people every other time. Speak on that. Speak on that. <laughs> are so irritating. Um so, so, so next is like season seven, final season. There's no big sort of overarching plot uh, in season seven. In fact, season seven really just feels like it's it's here to just tie up character stuff. Right. Um, After Tara's death and the outbreak, things um, slow down considerably. Maxine, um, Hoyt's mom, as well as Alcide are later killed as well this season. So they take him out of the picture. And then it slows down considerably. Another time jump, right? Bill uh, gives Jessica away in marriage. Hoyt and Jessica get married um, once he comes back from Alaska. Um, Eric has Hep V, but is later cured by feeding on Sarah Newland. Because she drank um, the antidote, the original antidote. We love it. Um, <laughs> I don't love that she died, but I love that she had like the foresight to do that. Like she, she, she stays. On oh no, top, she like. doesn't die. They just keep her around. Yeah, they do keep her around. You're right. You're right. Um, Bill allows himself to die, and then we get another time jump of like four years later. Eric and Pam are running a company called New Blood, where and they're keeping Sarah hostage so that they can use her blood to keep creating this. Right. So what happens is that they tear, like if you feed directly from Sarah, you're cured of Hep V. But um, in true fashion, they synthesize Sarah's blood to create new blood, which will treat Hep V and will manage the symptoms, but it won't cure it. So the only people who get only vampires who will ever be fully cured from Hep V are the vampires who can pay Ash, who can pay uh, Eric and Pam astronomical amounts of money, um, and then you can feed from Sarah directly. These are the characters I'm supposed to be sympathizing with again, like, or that you're supposed to be telling me are like the heroes of this story or something. You know what I mean? Right. Um, are we truly standing for this? And Sarah Newland has done a lot of bad things. Um, does she deserve this? You know, it's because this show never sells me on this idea that vampires are marginalized. They just don't. Like, or are in any real danger ever. And, and the series ends with, like, everybody who, I guess, is left standing all eating dinner together. And... Yeah. Uh, Sookie's married. We don't know to whom, but she's expecting. Dang, Jason yeah. got married to Hoyt's Alaskan girlfriend, Bridget. Yeah. Um, Jessica and Hoyt are together. Eric and Pam, you know, that's the ride or dies. They go, they're going to be the teams, a team forever. And, you know, um, Sam is mayor. He's married to Journey Smollett-Bell's character. She was expecting a child from him um, last season, right? Everybody's just, you know, living their best life except... Uh, 
you know, Tara, who's gone now. And um, is also gone. He dies. Yeah, Alcide dies. I didn't. I really didn't understand why they needed to kill the Alcide character. Neither do I, honestly. I, I can. I. I don't have a reasoning either. His his death felt so unnecessary, and then like he died once again, saving Sookie from some fuck shit that she had gotten herself into. Mm. Essentially, yes, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, I hate that that's what it is, but that's what the fuck it is. Um, it's always everybody's collateral damage in Sookie's universe, and anyone who gets pulled into her orbit is going to be collateral damage. Um, right. Also, there is a scene this season where they have a flashback of, like, Bill taking slaves on the Underground Railroad, and I hate it here. <laughs> this is slavery. Right. You know what would have been a, a good time to show me that? Back in season one, when y'all were romanticizing the Confederacy. Like, I cannot. Um, <laughs> when I tell you, like, I was like, make this show stop. <laughs> Mm. let this be finished i'm I done i just hate it here this is hate horrible it. i hate it here yes a rich white man who owns slaves is taking slaves on the underground railroad to freedom y'all <laughs> yeah yeah oh um, my god um i think the the only thing that gave me real closure was knowing that bill was dead because i wanted him to die I also had closure knowing Bill was dead. Um, I just, you know, I don't have anything. I don't have a thing. I'm, this show is exhausting. I re, I remember feeling like I finished like a marathon when it was finished. Same. And it wasn't like with TVD where it's because the seasons were so much. The seasons were very short. They were 10 to 12 episodes each. Um, they just put an exhausting amount of material and, um, circular logic and, um, mental gymnastics into each one. Each one. And honestly, like when I finished, I was like, now I remember why I don't rewatch this show that often. Like, this is another one that I really don't rewatch a lot. <laughs> and then I finally remember, I was like, yeah, cause it's exhausting mentally well first let's talk about season seven do you think it's good bad or basic oh it's like terrible agreed fully agreed it the time jumps was weird uh the way it was wrapped up was i felt like you were putting you were you were you were gift wrapping a turd at that point um, yeah <laughs> uh it was it was a, it was a mess i like i love that bill died i love that hoyt and jessica ended up together i love that jason was in a healthy, stable marriage. Um, everything else, y'all can leave that. Y'all could have left that on the table. Um, yeah, that's season seven. It was just bad, and I hate that the the show ended like this because it had such promise in that first season. Um, you leaned too heavily into the vampires being oppressed narrative. You leaned too heavily on your conscious or subconscious hatred of black women, and it ruined the show. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the back half of True Blood good. 
bad, basic, and unintentionally hilarious. If you'd like to check out the series, True Blood is currently streaming on HBO Max. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out our True Blood Spotify playlist if you haven't already. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. And with that, our Supernatural season has come to an end. We hope that you've enjoyed hearing our thoughts on all the TV series which made our lives a bit more spooky, fantastic, thrilling, and spellbinding. Tune in next week when we'll be taking a trip down memory lane with Throwbacks, the official eighth season of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. We'll be kicking things off with the iconic tween comedy Lizzie McGuire. If you'd like to check out or refresh your memory on this early 2000s time capsule before our episode airs, Lizzie McGuire is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, The Bad, The Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone. Bye.